name's Kit Woodrow. I'm the next generation pastor here at Holy Cross. If, in case you missed it during the announcements uh, on, uh, like, earlier, you are going to be receiving, if you are a member and a regular attender here at Holy Cross, you're going to be getting an email at some point this week um, with a survey from the company we've contracted called Flourish. And uh, that survey is meant to kind of gauge who we're looking for as we move forward uh, in the next lead senior pastor at Holy Cross. Um, so please make sure to answer that. The survey is gonna be open for uh, a couple of weeks, so you don't have to do it immediately, but if you're like me, and you're like, oh yeah, I'll get around to that, kinda never happens, right? So uh, my encouragement to you is if it pops up in your inbox, take a couple minutes, just fill it out as soon as you can, because uh, we really wanna hear your voice. Uh, this is important because the next lead pastor is serving you all, and we want him to be a good fit and to, to care for our church well. Um, all right, hey, uh, the other thing I wanted to say is Happy New Year. <laughs> Welcome to 2023. Thanks for choosing to spend today uh, worshiping with us. It's a big year in the life of our church, isn't it? It's the year that, God willing, we will have a new church building, so no more rented space. Uh, it is the year, Peter's laughing. He's like, I don't know if that's gonna, <laughs> we believe, we believe, we lean on the Lord, right? Uh, it's the year that uh, the Lord is going to be leading us closer to finding the lead pastor for Holy Cross. So it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, and if you're a normal human being standing on the cusp of a changing year, it can be hard, Right? So today's sermon is from Philippians 4, and we're going to read verses 4 through 7. And so if you'll turn there, um, in, in the world that we were made for, in the world that we were made for, you should be able to look back on the past year and have kind of a sense, sense of accomplishment, a sense of pride, maybe a touch of nostalgia. Like, that was a good year. And you should be able to look ahead to the coming year with joy, with anticipation. What tends to happen, though, right? I mean, very often the feelings that we feel looking back, feelings of regret, feelings of shame. And as we look ahead, for a lot of us, feelings of anxiety, right? So that's the question. What does the Bible have to say to us? As here, here we are standing on the cusp of a new year, standing on the cusp of a lot of change that happened both behind and a lot of change that's gonna happen moving forward. What does God have to say to you? What does he have to say to this church as we move ahead? All right, so would you stand as uh, together we read from Philippians 4, verses four through seven. The apostle Paul writes and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonable yeah, let's try that again. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
It's a true word of the living God. He gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, wherever we are right now, we need to hear from you. Um, Maybe we are feeling regret and shame looking back. Maybe we are feeling a lot of anxiety looking forward. Um, Maybe we're numb. Maybe we're running from those feelings. Um, Wherever we are, we need you. And so, Father, I pray that you would come, that you would use your word to do what your word always does, to penetrate into our hearts, to expose who we are, to lift our eyes off of ourselves onto you, to shape and transform us. Father, give us ears to hear where we're proud and don't really want to hear from you, don't want to be challenged. Would you give us humility? Let us see our Jesus. Let us see him as the wonderful person he is and change our hearts through that, Lord. We pray that all in his name for his glory. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right, so yeah, that's, that's our question, right? How does the Bible help us navigate regret, shame, and anxiety? As we look at the years and the the things that have passed, and as we look ahead to the things that lie ahead, okay? Um, So just a quick disclaimer. Paul, who wrote this, uh, the book of Philippians, uh, to a church in a place called Philippi, which is in current uh, Greece, he, he didn't write this passage of scripture to specifically address New Year's and change, right? But he was writing to a bunch of Christians who were going through a tumultuous period. A bunch of Christians who were anxious. Christians who didn't know what was coming. And so we can use this passage to, to delve into our question a little bit. All right, so that's, those are the two points. Looking, looking behind and then looking ahead. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's look behind a bit. What, what tends to trouble us when we look behind? I mean, we've already mentioned it, right? Regret. It's hard not to look back and have some regret, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's where the uh, origins of so many phrases are, like hindsight 2020, when you look, um, not 2020, the year, which is miserable, and we all don't want to look back on that. But hindsight 2020, things... If I had known now what, if I had known then what I know now, might things have changed, right? I wish I had, I wish they hadn't. Things were better before, fill in the blank, right? Hey, do you have regrets? Do you have regrets from the last year? The Philippians did. The people that Paul was writing this church Uh, this letter to, uh, as a church, maybe this sounds familiar, their founding pastor had moved on. He wasn't with them anymore. They, and and not just that, but he was actually in prison because he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus and they wondered, are we ever going to see him again? Can you imagine the kind of feelings that were probably going through their hearts and minds? Hey, we miss Paul. Things were better back when, you know. At its worst, regret can eat up any sense of pleasure that you have when you look back. And regret very often can lead to shame. So that's the other thing. Um, 
the other thing that troubles us when we look back, regret and shame. So how does shame trouble us? Well, shame, shame says, I really messed that up. And it's not just I messed that up, I'm wrong. So for example, if regret says, um, I wish I had, I wish that so-and-so. Shame comes in and says, and it's your fault. You messed that up. You know why? Because you're wrong. You're broken. And on the one hand, okay, so on the one hand, shame does speak truth, okay? Because we are broken. We're broken in, in ways that we cannot fix ourselves. But here's where shame lies, okay? Because shame will tell you, you messed that up. It's your fault. That's on you. You got to fix this. And if you don't, dot, 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 right? So shame wants you to wallow. It wants you to uh, wallow in the failure, in the brokenness, in the mess, as if that in some way, like that's what's going to fix it, right? Hey, do you have shame from last year when you look back? I think we all have different measures of that, different measures of regret and different measures of shame. Here's, here's the good news, right? Because regret and shame are heavy burdens to bear. And very often, we choose to bear them. You know why? Because in some sense, it gives us, it gives us a, an illusion of control. That maybe in some, some way, if I can just feel bad enough for what happened, maybe if I can, if I can just wallow, then it's going to make somehow I can control the, the bad stuff that happened there. I can pay for it, right? It, get, it puts control back in our hands. But the good news is God doesn't want us to bear those burdens. Regret and shame, it's not what he made you for. It's not what he wants you to bear. In fact, God wants to keep us. He wants to guard us from being crippled by shame and regret. All right, so, so what's the solution then? Uh, I kind of have to laugh because in the outline it says the solution very definitively. <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish this would fix it all. Um, but it's definitely working toward a solution. Okay, so let, let, let's sit in this passage and see what it has to say. Uh, working toward a solution. All right, so this is gonna be based on two parts and it's based on grammar, okay? We have the indicative uh, indicative verbs are the ones that kind of describe what is. All right, this is what is true. And then we have the imperative. These are verbs that are commands. What, what should you do? In light of what is true, what do you do? So let's work on uh, the indicative first. Start in verse five here. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Lord is at hand. So there are two ways to take this phrase, at hand. On the one hand, on the one hand, uh, the first way you can take it is saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is near. His, his, his return is very near. And he's going to make everything right again. And so when you look back with that, with that regret, when you look back with that shame, sometimes everything that you've gone through can feel really, really huge. 
what God is calling us to is remember Jesus is coming. He is making everything right. His return is very near. And so in light of eternity, it gives us perspective, right? It helps remove the sting of guilt and shame right now. Uh, so for example, um, this has been a chronic story in my family uh, for ever since Christmas because my daughter Melody, four years old, very hard on her new toys. Very hard. I mean, maybe some of you parents are having this experience. Um, she just got this little princess wand and it like started losing all of its jewels and almost snapped in half by like the second day from Christmas. And you would, you would think her world is falling apart because of everything, this is going wrong, I love this, it broke. That's her dad, I'm like hey, what, calm down. <laughs> I wish I could paint a more sanctified picture for you, I'd be like, yes daughter, don't worry, dad is going to move in and he's gonna fix the situation. No, the reality is stop screaming, <laughs> right? It's gonna be okay. Just wait until next year. You're not going to remember this wand, right? But even better, like, dad's got super glue. I'm going to fix this. You don't have to lose it right now. You see how knowing that Jesus is coming, knowing that he is going to fix everything can help us when we feel the real ups and downs of our immediate circumstances, or like I broke my wand, I wish I had, everything seems to be falling apart. So on the one hand, Jesus is coming. That's what uh, the Lord is at hand can mean. It can also mean Jesus is near with you right now. He's at hand, he's, he's right here. How does that answer our regret and shame? It just, it, it tells us that God is and has always been in perfect, complete control over your life circumstances. He's walked with you through that and he's walking with you now. It's one of the, one of the greatest mysteries in the Bible and the Bible stubbornly insists this so there's no way around it. We, are, we human beings are fully responsible and God is in absolute, total control of everything. All right, so don't get me wrong. There are awful things that do happen. And we human beings not only have a horrific capacity for evil that we visit on each other all the time, we also live in a world that has gone haywire because of our rebellion against God. And so things happen that shouldn't happen, that nobody has control over down here, right? But even in those terrible moments, God tenderly calls us to trust him. To trust that he's in control and that he swears to make everything right in the end. And that somehow everything will once have been so much better for once having been so sad. Right? That God is going to use even the, even the terribleness, even the tragedies to bring out a better story in the end. And so God's sovereign control also gives us perspective. If eternity gives us perspective, God's sovereign control gives us perspective and helps remove that sting of guilt and shame. Those things I messed up, those things that could have been. God was there. 
He was walking me through it. And I may not, may not see now how any good could have come out of that. But I can trust that he is good and that he is in control. And one day we'll look back. It's going to be okay. We're actually going to celebrate together. All right? So... The Lord is at hand. That's the indicative. That is what is true. So in light of what is true, in light of the fact that the Lord is at hand, he is coming, eternity is coming, he's in control, what's the imperative? What do we do now? Well, first thing, uh, verse four. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We kind of lose the effect of this. He's not saying, hey, here's an option. Consider happiness. Consider joy. Put a, put a smile on your face once in a while. No, it's a command. He's saying rejoice. And in case you missed it, let me say it again. Rejoice. <laughs> How? How is that possible, right? So th- this, is a, this is a conscious choice to lean into joy. So when regret and shame rear their heads, you have a choice. You can choose to wallow. You can choose to sit and in the sadness and the regret and the shame, or you can choose to lean into joy. And the question, I, I get it. The question is like, how is that possible, right? Because so many of us tend to misunderstand what joy is. We think of joy as, as a feeling, like happiness. And, and honestly, it's really hard to control your feelings. In fact, feelings kind of just happen, right? But joy is much more than just a feeling. It's also an action. It's an attitude. It's a, it's a choice to look for what is good and pleasurable in your circumstances, right? All right, so how do you actually do this? How can you rejoice as Paul is commanded, right? Well, you can do this by following the second imperative in verse six. Rejoice, do not be anxious. With prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. Hey, give thanks. You want to know a good, surefire way to be done with the regret and shame? It's to give thanks, right? It's to lean into, into thankfulness. And not, because, because giving thanks reframes how we look to the past, how we look behind. Um, and it's, just, it's not being vaguely grateful you know what, I'm just, I'm glad God was there and uh, I'm glad he got me through. <laughs> kind of the way we all got through 2020, right? I'm just glad we made it. Now, giving thanks, being specifically grateful for how God has acted in the past. See, Thanksgiving reflects on what God has done. It reminds us that nothing is outside of God's control. That God's purposes in everything are good, even if we currently can't understand them. So giving thanks is actually this exercise in trusting God's good character and in leaning into his control, okay? Um, And thankfulness empowers a life lived joyfully. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the results then. Um, Well, if, if you live rejoicing and giving thanks, guess what happens? You're gonna have a life marked by rejoicing and thankfulness instead of like pessimism and being down and all that sort of stuff, right? But the real result is right here in verse seven. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. Doesn't that sound nice? Wouldn't that be nice to live with the peace of God guarding you? Hey, uh, again, this is translated from Greek, so sometimes we miss the image, but guard means guard. You know, like it means to set a watch. In fact, this, this term in Greek is a very specific military term, which is, uh, it's to post a watch. It's to have sentinels surrounding. It's, you get this picture of a city that's got people on the walls observing from all corners. You feel safe. You feel kept. You feel guarded. God wants to place you in the keep. That's, a, that's the center fortress around which all the walls are wants to put you there and to guard you, set his keepers around you so that you're not assailed by regret and shame. He wants to keep you in his peace. That'd be really beautiful, right? Hey, I just wanted to give you an example because I was sitting here as this morning uh, as I was reviewing the sermon. Um, I get hit by random thoughts and so forth. Um, I'm, I'm reviewing the sermon and then suddenly I'm thinking about this friend of mine who lost his dad to suicide uh, like a couple weeks ago. And I thought, um, I haven't texted him. I got texted him once, but I haven't checked in since then. You know what happened? I was looking back. Guess what hit? Regret and shame. Instantly. Suddenly feeling like, oh, man, I am a miserable friend. Why didn't I take a couple minutes to have done, just send him a text? You know what I wanted to do from that, from that place of being like all spun up? Instantly I was gonna set myself reminders. All right, we'll text so-and-so tomorrow at nine o'clock. You know, I instantly jumped into, here's how I'm gonna fix this. Does that sound familiar? It was a moment I think where God was like, Kent, do you believe what you're gonna preach? Take a step back. You're feeling regret and shame right now. How does the scripture answer that? So I, I stepped back and was a, okay, so what's going on right now is I feel, I feel in some sense I could control the miserable experience he's going through right now by having sent a text. Verbalizing it is insane, right? We all tend to think we're little gods walking around, we can fix everything. No, he didn't need me, he needed the Lord and I needed to trust that. I needed to trust that God was at hand with him when I wasn't and that was okay. It was good to leave him in God's hands. I could rest too. I could rest knowing like, yeah, I failed. I did, very quantifiably I failed. Thank God for Jesus and thank God for a savior who works through our failures and thank God that, hey, now I learned, right? And I can move toward my brother, not out of a sense of shame and trying to fix him and trying to make me actually look good, but because I actually care about him. So I prayed for him right then and there. So I hope that's helpful. Like as you, as you navigate looking back, as you think through the regrets you have, the shame you have, where is God calling you to pause because these emotions, I think, I think God uses these negative emotions to cause us to pause, but so often we feel those things and we, we scurry, we get into busyness. 
God's calling you to pause. He's calling you to step back and step into his keep to trust him. Let him move, all right? Okay, so that's, uh, that's looking back. What about looking ahead? When we look behind, we see we, we have regret, we have uh, shame, and looking ahead, very often, we feel anxiety, right? <laughs> it's the, uh, and, and hey, this is the familiar trouble in our country. Uh, the stats are alarming. If you just want to look up uh, the percentage of Americans who have like a diagnosed anxiety disorder in the United States, it's alarming and it's getting worse. The trend is way terrible, way terrible, among uh, younger generations. It just seems to be getting worse. The more informed we are, the more things seem to be in control, the more anxious we are. It's an interesting phenomenon. Um, and maybe you're sitting here like, well, I don't really deal with anxiety. Guess what? I thought that too. And then I married Anna. And then I realized, I think she's making me anxious. <laughs> Except I just had a wife who was more aware than I was, and she was pointing out all the ways I was anxious. And so therefore, yeah, my anxiety predated Anna. I praise the Lord for bringing my wife <laughs> along to show me that. Um, all right, so, so maybe that's not you. Uh, I'm gonna try to describe a little bit what anxiety is. You look up anxiety in the thesaurus, you're gonna, like, some words you look up, like, what's a good matching word to this? And they have, like, an entry about that big. You look up anxiety in a thesaurus, it's like yay long. We have a thousand different words for what it means like to be anxious, so let me list a few things. It could be worry, it could be stress, it could be nervousness, it could be tension. At root, anxiety is a fear, not about like an immediate threat. Oh, there's a lion, I'm scared. It's, it's about some amorphous, shadowy something that's coming in the future, right? Anxiety is a fear of future shadows. It's a fear of fear. It's that ever-present worry of what lies ahead, right? I don't know if I have time to do this, but just in case you're still like, nah, it's still not me. Let me list some physical symptoms, all right? <laughs> Since I'm so familiar with my own anxiety now, let me cause you some. All right. You feel that tightness in the chest, that pit in the stomach, a shortness of breath, tension along the back, shoulders, neck. Everyone's like, yeah, I'm feeling it now. <laughs> and the way we tend to respond to it, there are two different ways. We tend to think of anxiety, like anxious people being very spun up. That's one way. Your mind won't let go of it. You're worrying over something. It's hard to sleep. You feel like you've got to do something. You don't know what, right? That's one way to respond to anxiety. The other way, there are more people out there like this too, is you just shut down, right? You feel like you've got brain fog. You feel sleepy, lethargic. You feel like you can't do anything. Does that sound familiar? And that's anxiety, okay? So here's the point. Here's why we did all this exercise. Hey, I think we all feel anxiety at some point, right? That's the point. We all feel it at some point. And some of us walk around with it chronically, and it's miserable, and then you get a command like this, don't be anxious! You're like, thanks, God. How's that supposed to work, right? It seems unreasonable until you realize, like, what God's doing here is he wants to keep you from being consumed by anxiety. Because anxiety is going to eat up any, any joy that you could have in the future. He wants to keep you. All right, so what's the solution then? Or at least, what's working toward a solution? 
I'll break it into the two, two parts again. The indicative and imperative. A lot of this stuff is gonna sound familiar from the first point. The indicative, here's what's true. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's at hand. Hey, Jesus is coming. And no matter what future forecasts are out there that you are dreading, you know the end of the story. You know the end of the story. No matter what you're like, whatever shadows, you're like, ah, this is going to be a tough year. You know, no matter what happens this year, you know the end of the story. Jesus is coming. He wins. And you, Christian, you're on the winning side. Jesus is going to remake everything. And hey, if death couldn't stop him, nothing will. Right? Don't forget this. Hey, um, it's such a Jesus Sunday school answer. Don't worry. Jesus is coming. He's going to fix everything. Build your life on it. Whatever fears are coming. Hey, as a church, when we're like, we don't know. We don't know what 2023 is going to look like. Build your life on this. Jesus is coming. He will be honored and glorified. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He's going to use Holy Cross to do that too, to make Jesus famous, right? Build your life on it. Eternity gives you perspective, and it helps remove this thing of anxiety. All right, so yes, Jesus is coming, but also at hand, meaning Jesus is near with you now, okay? Um, there is nothing coming down the road that he doesn't already know about and have complete control over. Nothing. And here's what's more comforting and encouraging, right? Because life is still gonna be hard. Somehow God is still in control and life can still be hard. He's gonna walk with you through it. Life is not about God making you comfortable. It's about God making you more like Christ. And you know what? You become far more like Jesus when you walk through hardship, okay? So whatever comes down the future, if it's joy, he's gonna use it to make you more like Jesus. If it's hardship, he's gonna use it to make you twice as much like Jesus, even when you may not see it. And you may wonder, how is this making me, this is actually turning me into a worse Christian. I've had that experience. You trust him. You trust him. He promises to walk with you no matter what comes, and so God's sovereign control also gives us perspective and helps remove the sting of anxiety. All right, so that's the indicative. That's what's true. The Lord is at hand. What are the imperatives here? What, what, what do we do in light of what is true? All right, so verse four again. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say it, rejoice. It's a command, how do we obey it? Here's my question for you. Do you practice anxiety? I think a lot of us do. We spend a lot of time worrying over what's coming. We, we, we spend more time feeling anxious about what's coming. We practice it, and it's, it's an uphill fight. Because in our culture, fear is what sells. That's, what you, that's why the headlines are always so atrocious. There's a lot of good news out there. They want you to click on all the bad stuff, so you're fearful, all right? So it's hard, but we've gotta guard our hearts. What are you filling your heart with? 
Are you filling your heart with things to make you fearful and anxious? Or are you making that conscious decision to lean into joy, right? Because that's the, the ability to obey this imperative, do not be anxious, comes from the following imperatives that we have to carry out. Rejoice, rejoice, lean, lean into joy. Look back on how God has led you. Hey, um, this is part of why I advocate for like a reflective life. Yes, it can be really kitschy to stand on the cusp of a new year and be like, okay, we're gonna look back and we're gonna look forward. Here's why I want you to look back, okay? We did this as a family last night. Start tallying the ways that God has been there. And maybe you feel like, well, he wasn't. Start tallying. He actually shows up way more than you think. And when we're, when we're in the moment, it can be hard to see that until you sit down and make that practice. You know why I'm asking you to do this? Because as you list, oh, this happened on this month, and then four months later, here's how it all actually panned out. It helps you look back on that crisis moment and be like, I can see. I can see what God was doing there. Hey, again, some things you may look back on for the rest of your life and wonder, I don't know how the Lord was using that. Okay? That's where you just have to trust that he was working. But I guarantee you, Christians who have gone through really, really, really hard things can very often look back on those moments. They're, they're the people we all need to hang around, honestly, because they can look back on those moments and they can tell you, you know what? If I were writing my life story, I would not have chosen to do that. I would not have chosen to go back through that. And I'm really glad, glad God walked me through. Hang around those people. So here's, here's, here's the encouragement, right? Rejoice, look back, see how God has led in the past, and that gives you confidence as you look ahead. It, it allows you to rejoice in, what you, in what's coming down the pipeline because you know God's gonna be there. His, his proven faithful track record back here allows you to rejoice as you look forward, okay? All right, the next, uh, the next imperative here, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Uh, I'm actually really surprised that they translated it reasonableness because nowhere else in the Greek New Testament uh, does the ESV translate this particular word reasonableness. So I don't know what, what, what's up with that. Uh, a better translation seems to be like um, a gentle respect for other people. All right, so here's what I'm saying. Get outside yourself. You want an answer to anxiety? Get outside yourself, you know what? Anxiety is very me-centered. It's all about me and what I'm going through and all that sort of stuff. Get outside yourself. Think about other people, right? And it's actually better for you. So here's a little jingle in case you need to remember it. The less I think about me, the less anxious I'm likely to be. No, it doesn't rhyme really. I mean, it rhymes, but it doesn't have a great uh, meter. Less I think about me, the less anxious I'm likely to be. So go into 2023 being others focused, okay? All right, so the final, final imperative here is pray. I mean, Paul repeats this over and over. This is the point of this whole verse. In everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Hey, here's the good news, right? 
God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to talk to him about all those things that are coming that you're afraid of. You've got a ready ear with the almighty creator of heaven and earth. He's there. He wants to hear it. So here's, here's my encouragement to you, right? Um, again, I think God uses our, our feelings to, um, to draw us to him. You feel anxiety. Take that as God beckoning you, saying, hey, you've got something on your mind. You've got something that's worrying, that's playing over and over and over in here. It's something that matters to you. And maybe it's stupid, right? That's why I always tell the kids in youth group, it's okay, have us pray about your tests. I know it's a big deal. You're worried about it. You know, you're not gonna remember it 10 years from now. You're not gonna remember it next year. It's a big deal though. It's on your mind. We care about it. God cares about it. So if you feel anxiety, use the anxiety. The anxiety is supposed to be like a trigger to send you to Jesus, to remind you that you've got a God, creator of heaven and earth, who cares about you, who wants to do something about your anxiety and what's on your heart, okay? Um, can you imagine what might happen if we took all the energy and time <laughs> that we spent anxiously worrying about the future and trying to, in some sense, exert control over the future because I'm just gonna worry about it and that's gonna make things better. We turned it into something productive like actually talking to the one who does have control over the future. Y'all, God wants time with you. He wants time with you. So come hang out with him. Next time you feel regret, shame, anxiety, hang out with the Lord. Talk to him about it. He wants to spend that time with you. He knows it matters to you. It matters to him too. All right, so what are the results? Well, a life of joy and thankfulness, a life directed toward others, a life of feeling closeness to God as you find yourself praying more and trusting him for the results that he's given based on his proven track record. That sounds nice, right? But it's even more, more important. A life of peace, peace of God, surpasses all understanding, all comprehension. Your mind cannot get how this peace works. Peace of God. Hey, um, you can see how this works, right? You weren't made to live under shame. You weren't made to live with regret. You weren't made to live with anxiety. And God wants to free you from those burdens. That's why he sent Jesus to actually deal, we'll, we'll so often feel shame for stuff we shouldn't feel shame about. It's borrowed shame. Um, there are things we should very much legitimately feel bad for, and Jesus has taken those. He's paid the price for those. And he sent Jesus to prove, again, to us very anxious human beings, it all works out. He's gonna walk with us. He's walked with, uh, yeah, death could not stop him, right? But we feel regret, shame, and anxiety most when we factored God out of the picture. And so he calls us, he calls you. Put him back in. Stop being the center of your own universe, trying to manipulate everything, trying to keep everything in orbit around you. You don't have that kind of gravitational weight. It's all gonna fall apart. Put him back in the center of your universe and let everything run the way it's supposed to. Stop trying to be God. 
So today, God's calling us back. He's calling us back into his peace. Here's the question. Will you trust him? That's why it's so hard for us, right? That's why we'd rather live with regret, shame, and anxiety. Because we're sitting in the driver's seat. Will you trust him? Give your regrets. Give your shame to him. Trust, trust it when he says he's in control. He's going to take care of it. Give your anxiety to him. Will you trust him? Will you trust him to be as faithful as he was when you look back, as you look ahead? Because here's the truth. You'll find out that as you do that, the peace that God made you for, the peace that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. He will keep you. That's what he made you for. He invites you to come back into his care and be kept. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, again, this is, in some sense, it's so abstract, it's hard for us to, to know what this looks like. We are hardwired for regret and shame and anxiety. Um, we're hardwired to try to control our own lives. Um, yeah. And so, Father, I ask that you would move. I ask, Lord, that you give us that trust in you, to trust you with our past, to trust you with our future. And Jesus, I pray that you would move. I pray that in 2023, we would be able to look back on this year as a year you were working in our church, in our hearts, to make us more like Jesus, to shine the light of Jesus here in Stanton, Augusta County, and beyond. Because Jesus, we want people to know about you. You're an amazing God. We love you. I pray all this in your name. Amen.